Hi, and welcome to the Sales Enablement Pro Podcast. I am Shauna Simawang. Sales enablement is a constantly evolving space, and we're here to help professionals stay up to date on the latest trends and best practices so that they can be more effective in their jobs. Today, I'm excited to have Don Schmidt, who's an enablement expert from a wide range of tech companies, join us today on our podcast. Don, I would love for you to introduce yourself to our audience. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Shauna. I really appreciate it. My background has really been specialized in business-to-business and SaaS model industries, and I've been within uh, enablement and training for more than 15 years. And so I've built five startup enablement teams, Series A through D, with up to about 30 employees in some of those cases. And I've led enablement programs that have served and supported more than 700 field and sales reps, and then about 20,000 clients. So really my my area of, of Uh, My startups are really three areas. One was FinTech, which was with human interest, which provides 401k plans for small businesses, then e-learning startups, lynda.com, which eventually became LinkedIn Learning, and then Greenflower, which is a uh, cannabis-centric training company. And then third was uh, the automotive industry, where I worked for cars.com and edmunds.com, setting up their programs. And and my point would be for, for our listeners is that what it shows is that enablement kind of stretches us across our platforms. And so don't feel like you have to stay in one lane for your entire career. Within enablement, you know, training is training, no matter if you're selling, you know, automotive or cannabis or financial services. If you're in the enablement industry, you have a lot of kind of opportunities and career options that are coming forward. So I'm glad to be able to share, you know, any of my thoughts or experiences uh, to help your listeners. Thank you, Don. I am excited to have you here. And and to, to the comment that you made around building a career in enablement, on LinkedIn, you mentioned one of your passions is building enablement teams. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to understand from your opinion, what are some of the core pillars of an effective enablement team? Yeah, that's a good question because it really has expanded over the years, right? It, it really started with training and then just became kind of a fancy word for training. And so I, I would say that it isn't training alone. I mean, that although that is a large part, uh, the way I've set up my teams is really in three verticals. And the first is performance management. And what I mean by that is really looking at the data and not necessarily just working with uh, revenue or sales operations to get data from Salesforce. I mean, you know, creating skill assessment health cards, you know, aka like, scorecards, sometimes people call them, but I don't particularly like that word because it, it feels like, you know, the seller, you're going to tell them where they suck. Uh, health cards are really where we can help you improve your efficiency and your effectiveness. And along with that, with performance management of looking at the data is also often I set up the tech stack. So non-Salesforce in my case, but with enablement, I definitely recommend taking over uh, all of the productivity tools, and then either ta- you know managing or being part of that sales and retention process creation, the sales methodology, because performance management is that first pillar, dictates what your content's going to be and technically how you're going to deliver it. So that would be my second pillar is I create a content team. And when I say team, it could you know be one instructional designer, it could be a lot. My advice for people is not to just look at it as face-to-face, e-learning, and webinar-based content creation. Uh, There are two new areas in the industry that I'm 
really jazzed about. One is uh, Guided Paths. There are great companies out there that lay on top of uh, tools like Salesforce and guide people in a kinesthetic way. Um, that should be part of your content creation. And then also there are video coaching tools that are out there that are sometimes within enablement tools and sometimes outside of them, sometimes within an LMS. But video-based coaching, I think, is an important kind of delivery method of your curriculum team. Now, I often have taken over the communication because often salespeople get either so much slack or so many emails that they start ignoring it. So my team will consolidate that and, and try to make that more efficient so that people actually see what they need to see. And then also within content, I, I have, uh, I've never had a marketing team under me, but there's marketing enablement that will build all of your sales collateral, but also, you know, I have had my team build out playbooks and battle cards to, to go against competitors. And then the third pillar is really delivery. Um, Obviously, you know, it's the training of new hires and veterans, but I would also suggest trying to leverage and take over motivational events, you know, the sales kickoffs or whatever you might call it at your organization that are either quarterly or yearly. Um, your all hands calls. My team takes that over and MCs it. You may still have sales leadership running those, but you have a facilitator. Uh, and those all hand meetings, I would say, should always go down to the director level or regional level down to the weekly level where your trainers are in the weekly sales meetings for a specific regional director. And then uh, I think the last parts of, of that delivery is obviously data-driven coaching that comes from the performance management, leadership development. And, you know, I've done at two companies recruitment support where the trainers actually will conduct sales-centric interviews with candidates that have gotten far into the process and just test them on one thing like their sales methodology so that the hiring manager doesn't have to you know do that during their their service so my advice is really think about what you aren't managing yet and then begin expanding your team's role absolutely i love that approach now that said in your experience what are some of the challenges that can maybe come up with building and developing an enablement team and 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 what have you found to be successful in overcoming those challenges there're definitely a lot and and it does matter if you're a one person show or you have a big team Often what has happened with me is that I come in and it's a one-man show in many cases for me, um, or it's two or three people. And typically the enablement team, or sometimes when I've come in, they were still called sales training, were seen as kind of superfluous. So what I mean by that is the number one thing is to change sales management's view. And that can be tough. There's, there's no doubt about it. But the question you have to ask leadership is, do you want us to be a superfluous training team? Or do you want us to be an essential part of the sales organization? You know, that makes sellers more effective at their jobs. And if you can weave in what I had talked about earlier of all the things that you could do for the organization and support people to be more effective, it gives you more and more uh, abilities to be valuable. But, you know, I, th I think my, my number one goal in that challenge is, can you become that trusted advisor for sales leadership? And if you can, you're, you're in a good position. Ultimately, it's getting that trusted advisor kind of set up is that you need to concentrate on the right metrics. And that's what often the challenge is, is that we're not looking at the right metrics. 
Don, I think that's a fantastic point. I'd love to better understand how do you measure the impact of your team on the rest of the business? Like, What are some, for example, of the key metrics you leverage to reinforce the enablement team's value? Yeah. Okay. So that, yeah, that gets, that gets right into that main challenge. I think where, where I made the mistakes in the beginning of my career, and I, I think for the, if you're a listener here in this situation of trying to create more relevance and getting management buy-in is that you have to steer away from what I would say are like the least valuable metrics, which are how many classes we trained, right? The, the number of attendance, how many e-learning courses or collateral did we put in the LMS or the enablement uh, repository, what our evaluation scores were. Those are, you know, smile sheets are fine, but, you know, if the trainers are really good at delivery, they're of course going to get fives. And so you can say to yourself, you're really great, but sales management isn't necessarily bought into that. Uh, test scores, I don't know about you and, and, and some of your other presenters that have been on the podcast, but I found that the people that test multiple choice questions in new hire training typically are like the worst salespeople. <laughs> uh, you think they'd be the best because they know all the product, but they get caught into the weeds. So giving a sales management test scores or how many people you certified is the wrong way to approach. And I would say, you know, even in sale, one sales metric I always stay away from is time of first sale. I know a lot of managers want to know that ramped and ready, get it really fast. But time of first sale, there could be something that was already in the pipeline. I think it's pretty misleading. So in that sense, then what are the hot buttons? So my advice and what's worked well for me is uh, to track from the date that that person started or the first day of the month that they started and follow them with their career so that everything that you train, you can see what goes up and down. So my advice would be overall revenue, which is obviously you know a pretty easy one, but what was their overall revenue? Was there an increase in, in sales? Management wants to know what that ramp speed was in the sense that they are on their own and ready to go. Um, pipeline predictability. Now, you know, we can't, we're not the silver bullet in all of this, but we can absolutely affect that. If you can say our, our prediction on, on forecasting and pipeline is, uh, is more accurate because of these trainings, it gives real relevance. Increase in retention of your top talent you know, improve quota performance, decrease time to close, right? The opportunity open to opportunity close. That could be tough if an organization doesn't, you know, follow that method of creating an op right when you talk to a client, but that's a huge one. And then decrease of the churn of not only the clients, but also of employees. So there are a lot of metrics, but if you, if you look at those, and my advice to, to listeners is if you've never looked at this as Kirkpatrick's four levels of ROI, that can help coupled in with all of the data that I was mentioning earlier. Absolutely. The Kirkpatrick model is phenomenal. We actually had a representative from there on our book club podcast recently. Yeah. So to shift gears just a little bit, as an enablement leader, you've pointed out in the past, one of your goals is to be a great coach. I'd love to learn a little bit from you. How can coaching help you develop the talent on your enablement team? I like how you do it internally uh, about my team, but you know, let me, I'm going to step a little out, outside of that and say, let's first start with the common issue, which it, regardless if you're an enablement leader or you're a sales leader or anyone else is that many leaders think they're coaching 
but really what they're doing is directing and they don't realize it. Uh, no fault to them. You know, often, you know, L&D departments don't necessarily hit everyone with uh, situational leadership training and other courses, uh, but often somebody thinks they're coaching. So I think, you know, that is one thing to always be aware of, including thinking about yourself. So an example I'd give, I think everyone that's that's a listener here has experienced this. You know, have, have you ever been to like a weekly regional sales team meeting where there's a regional director and maybe there's I don't know, 10 salespeople or so, that manager goes around the circle of sellers and asks, what are they planning to close this week? And, you know, and it just goes around the, 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 the horn. They say, I'm going to bring in this amount of money, which sometimes is a lie because they don't have anything. They're not looking at their, their forecasting well, um, but they don't want to say zero, right? And then the manager gives them pointed, what I would put in quotes, advice, on how to approach those deals and to get them across the line. And then they'll go to the next person, they'll go to the next person. And so once you've talked, you're just like, well, okay, now, now I'm not listening to my colleagues. Like, I, I'm, I'm off the hook. Uh, so those could be really ineffective sessions. And, um, and in my opinion, you know, the, they're a waste of time because all they are doing in those situations is telling them what to do. There's no problem solving. So now I get into the coaching part of this um, with my team uh, and with a sales leader. You know, you you have to work on coaching as an individual basis, and I, I kind of see coaching as more about self discovery and having the person that you're talking to discover those answers for themselves. And often I try to use data behind it to guide that employee to that new approach. It might not necessarily be my approach. It might be a better one, actually. <laughs> but for them to self-discover, because then they're much more likely to execute on what's being said. So to give you an example, is like instead of telling a trainer that their delivery was too rigid, right, in the classroom, ask them something like, what would you change in your training delivery today if you were going to train the class again, right? How would you rate yourself training delivery wise from one to 10? Well, if it's, if they say 10, uh, then we got a different issue, <laughs> but anything from one to nine, it doesn't really matter. It's like, okay, well then how could we have gone up to 10? Now, sometimes what I will do then with a training, a trainer, I'll look at verbal ticks like, um, or, ah, uh, or, you know, and I'll start writing them down and, and putting in how many total during a certain period of time. And then I do ask them that question. So data-based, I say, how often, you know, what, what do you think's your social or your verbal tick? They may come up with it. Um, okay. Well, if that's the case, uh, how many ums do you think you, you said in 30 minutes? There's 107. <laughs> so how do, how do you feel we should approach this? And then I'd say, you know, uh, it's not just about the trainers. You, you could, you could put, a coaching kind of philosophy with, with anyone in your team, you know, instead of stating, let's say we need to increase our competitive curriculum, maybe with one of your, your uh, content people, you share the Salesforce data and how many deals were lost to competitors. And then, you know, as an example, right? So we know because when you close a deal, a close lost, there's a reason of why the person quit and maybe, or, or didn't, 
sign, and maybe it was because they went with a competitor. So you show that data to the content person. You say, okay, what are your thoughts about how we can combat this challenge? What are, what are, what are the, the ways we can do it? Now, you can then feed in your information based on that, but I really think open-ended questions is the best way uh, for coaching. Now, I, I will say at the end of this, though, you know, I did say you shouldn't be directing. I also do believe in situational uh, leadership. So if someone is, is brand new, uh, they're very enthusiastic, but they don't know what they're doing. Well, then you do have to direct them, right? You can't just delegate uh, a task to them. It's not fair. Uh, but coaching, you can use with new people or veterans. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It works well across the team. And and you've touched on some some fantastic best practices, but do you have any additional ones that you would recommend when it comes to coaching your team? I am a huge believer in data-driven coaching. and even if you're a one person show, you can do this. You can, you can do that. Or where I've had actual data analysts use, combine all the data into like Snowflake through Tableau and create individual health cards. And I earlier had said about, you know, sometimes people call them scorecards. I, I like calling them the health cards. And that allows you to deliver customized and personalized learning to each seller and sales leader, but also in regards to coaching. Now you know what to coach. And we break that out typically on my teams in in four areas. Sales metrics, right? So did you close a sale? How many units did you sell? What's your average selling price? How long did it take, right? Activity is the second part. So how many phone, email, text, outreach calls did you do? And then what's your closing ratio based off of those, second meeting, third meeting, and such? Um, productivity tools. So if your team is in charge of any productivity tools, uh, it could be, you know, I don't know, it could be stuff that's within Salesforce. Salesforce Maps I've done this with. I've done this with LinkedIn Sales Navigator, with Outreach, with HighSpot. Uh, there's all kinds of companies that you might have in your tech stack. I would look at those metrics and see what the usage is. And then the last one is just knowledge checks of did they complete training in the past? If you put that all into one kind of spreadsheet and look at salespeople individually, then you're able to find what I would say are like red flags. Think of it as like Moneyball. Remember the movie Moneyball with uh, Brad Pitt? And there's this great scene uh, with Chris Pratt, and he's watching uh, a video of himself at the plate, and they're throwing pitches at him. And he self-discovers by looking at that, at that data that if I let some some pitches come through, I'll get more balls, which means I'll get more walks, which means I'll get on base. And it was an epiphany for him in the, the movie. I feel it's the same way when you're coaching. If you look at these metrics and you can compare people with others, then you're able to coach them because they can see it compared to their colleagues. And that works really well. Now you're not just pulling KPIs from the ether. And saying, yeah, this is about how many calls you should do. You should look at the top salespeople. Makes it much easier to coach. Mm, I love that approach. Well, Don, last question for you. You've also mentioned that results only come through collaboration. So mm. how do you foster a culture of collaboration amongst your teams? It can be hard, especially the larger the organization, the more siloed it gets. You know, smaller startups, everybody's talking. And I find that it it's not malicious when pilot when silos start. It, it just isn't. I think people just get in their own world and 
and they start working and collaboration starts breaking down. And um, I think, you, you know, you do it in two ways. You look internally and you look externally. So here are some, some I would say, suggestions that have worked for me. Um, first thing internally was I would replace the weekly team meeting that you have with your enablement folks. And I would actually break it up into more, more small group sprints and then do like daily standups with your direct reports and also assign productivity tools to each trainer. So I'll give you an example. When I was at Edmonds, every trainer had one productivity tool that was assigned to them and they had to take ownership of it. And now it forced them to then have to work with other teams to make sure that that worked. So it's not just working within our team, it's getting them to think I need to collaborate outside because I won't be successful. And one, you know, the goal is always this, I want you to speak at whatever that vendor's conference is next. So one was Salesforce Maps. And I said to that trainer, you should, you should absolutely try to get to Dreamforce. And she took it over and did an amazing job. She worked with the actual vendor with the sales team, found top sellers that were doing really well, shadowed them, used that for the training content, worked with marketing to create collateral. All this happened. And what happens? I lose her to Salesforce and she's now a Salesforce Maps employee. That is wonderful. That made me feel so great because she was expanding on her career and I was able to be that one that kind of started it. She got it all herself, but I got that started by assigning a productivity tool to her and then coaching her through it on how to collaborate. But I'd also, I, just the last parts on the internal wise, I would say I like conducting quarterly team in-person workshop meetings and monthly all, all hands calls, but those quarterly in-person meetings are where you do your problem solving. So everyone is working together on solving what are our five main issues are. So they're all working together and they're figuring out, okay, who do we need outside of our team to help us be successful? So then the last part in this is external. Uh, in regards to collaboration, I mean, the, I could give you the standard ones that, that everybody does, right? You got to have a meeting with the head of each of the department heads uh, once a week. Okay, fine. But what has also worked for me that's a little more outside of the norm is that I, I've created advisory boards. They're not decision boards, but they're advisory boards. Those often are made up of top sellers. So you create an advisory board for industry, for comp competitive, for selling, for retention, and you find based on your health cards, who are those top users? And then they help you create that content. So whenever you have an all hands meeting or where everyone's coming together, you bring them in a day early and you have these advisory board meetings and you have specific questions for them. It helps you create content. It creates people that will be raving fans of your content because they were part of that process and they'll amplify it. Um, but also uh, it, it opens up for better content. Right? And then I would also suggest uh, shadowing sellers. Uh, if you're in a management role the best way you're going to learn and to be able to understand what are the real trials and tribulations is to shadow a salesperson and just listen. And if they're doing things that seem right, or they're following a sales process that you taught and they're using it or whatever it might be, create a sales success video of them. Say, Hey, I love how you handled that objection. I saw that you used an uh, alternative close or, or you clarified rephrase and isolated that objection. Can we record you for one or two minute video 
on how you did that with a client and how much money you made. And they get really excited. And now you put that into the LMS. And the last one externally is as a leader, I not only meet with with the managers of other teams, but I also attend the product and product marketing sprint meetings because the worst thing in enablement is that you're given this time when you're going to market and it's limited and you didn't know what was in the pipeline. Get yourself in those meetings so you know months ahead what the product team is working on so you're ready uh, with your team uh, to, to go on day one. Don, thank you so much. I really appreciate the fantastic advice for our audience. I appreciate you joining us today. And thank you. And I, I really appreciate the opportunity. I mean, it's it's great to work with an organization like yours. And I, I definitely recommend uh, to listeners to to look at some of the, the certification programs that you have. I'm, I'm highly impressed with the Sales Enablement Professional Certificate. And uh, I really like sales uh, personas also. Uh, so it's it's great to work with people like yourselves that are in this industry trying to help people get better. Well, I appreciate that additional plug to our audience. Thanks for listening. For more insights, tips, and expertise from sales enablement leaders, visit salesenablement.pro. If there's something you'd like to share or a topic you'd like to learn more about, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you.